0: Hello, I'm Brad Riley, and you're listening to Forming the Spirit Within, a podcast where you will find such things as in depth Bible studies, some classes I teach on a variety of spiritual matters, as well as some conversations I want to have with you and others along the way, all of which I hope will inspire you to a deeper life in Jesus Christ. In his 2nd Corinthian letter, St. Paul the Apostle described our lives as a process of transformation that comes to us by looking full into the face of Jesus. And as we behold His glory, we are transformed into His glorious likeness in ever-increasing measure. What an amazing thought, that we can be transformed into the very glory of Jesus. That is my prayer for you, that in some small way this podcast will help you in your transformation from glory into even greater glory, as Christ forms His Spirit within you. I hope you'll subscribe to the podcast and not only listen, but join in on the conversation with a question or a comment. Thanks so much for listening, and may the Lord be with you. Good morning, everyone. I'm glad to be with you this morning. Uh, getting ready for Bible Study Live. It is Thursday, May the 14th, right here in Wichita, Kansas, at 11 a.m. So if you're joining us live, which I know there will be some people coming on in just a few minutes as we gather together. Uh, this is this kind of a time of gathering Uh, I also want to say hello to those that will be watching this a little bit later on. Beautiful thing about Facebook Live, it videotapes it for us, it records it, uh, and just, you know, it's there. You can watch it anytime. Uh, It's also available on podcast, and I want you to know I just got the podcast up this morning from last week. Excuse me, so that is all ready to go. The podcast is called uh, Forming the Spirit Within. And it's a collection of Bible studies like this that I've done for years, as well as a few classes and a few uh, sermons and a few just uh, conversations uh, along the way. So uh, hope you'll check in on the podcast sometime, Forming the Spirit Within. There's a Facebook page for that. I'd appreciate it if you go and like that page, share it with your friends. And it's hosted on Podbean. You can find it on your favorite podcast app, player, whatever you use You should be able to find it if you just search either my name or forming the spirit within. So thanks for uh, checking in today and being a part of this. We are actually getting ready to finish chapter one in the Gospel of Luke. It's taken us five episodes to do it. There's just a whole lot there that Luke wanted us to get ready for and to to launch out into the life of Jesus Christ. Hi, Bev. Thanks for joining this morning. Uh, I want to just... Take a moment to invite you to get a cup of coffee. I hope you have one. Sue, good morning. Uh, I, I want to do something kind of fun here. I, I want to, uh, you know, each week I like to I like to show you what mug I'm drinking out of. I don't have an endless supply of mugs, but I do have a few. But uh, this week, today, I'm feeling pretty good. Good spirits. It's a beautiful day outside, although I hear it's kind of stormy weather. Uh, so it's it's actually going to storm later on. And we're, of course, praying for everyone to stay safe during those storms. But uh, here's, here's my mug today. Superman. I'm feeling like Superman today. So, hey, I hope you're having a good day. I hope you're feeling well. And if you're not, Bible study is going to help you feel better. Because the Word of God is a, is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our soul. Uh, hi, Judy. It's good to have you with us. Thank you for joining Uh, So today's coffee. Let's talk about coffee for a minute. I know there's a few of you that don't like coffee. I don't understand that, but hey, I know not everybody does. So grab a cup of hot tea, grab a Coca-Cola, whatever you want. Uh, The real healthy ones out there are probably going to grab a glass of water. My throat's a little scratchy today, so I may take a few more drinks than normal. So pardon me for clearing my throat every now and then. But today's coffee is, I'm happy to say, brought to you by the Spice Merchant. They're back open. Opened on Monday morning at 10 o'clock. I was out of coffee for weeks and weeks and weeks and had to order some uh, alternative stuff online. But the the Spice Merchant coffee is just a plug here for them. They are amazing, the different beans that they roast right there. And uh, today, as you know, I drink decaf most of the time. Uh, Today's flavor is brought to you by Mexican chocolate. Mexican chocolate is incredible. Uh, That's one of my favorites there. Now, it brings me back. It has a little childhood memory here. I I can remember going to Mrs. Garcia's house in Newton, Kansas for special occasions like Africa. I had a call coming through there. I don't know if it showed on there, but I just uh, let it go. (laughs) So anyway, I didn't think calls would come through when I'm uh, doing Facebook Live. Sorry about that. Maybe there's something I can change in notifications, but But Mexican chocolate, I mean, she would make hot chocolate and put like cinnamon sticks in it and maybe some other flavors. I don't don't know about some some spices and think that was really good. So Mexican chocolate today has that aroma. It's just incredible. I wish you could smell it. So get your coffee, open your Bibles, grab pencil and paper, and make sure you're ready to take notes. Because we're going to look at a big path of scripture today. We're going to look from verse 57 in Luke chapter 1 all the way to the end of the chapter, which I think is verse 80. We'll take it in two sections. The primary part of this section is the famous hymn or prayer song that I told you about called the Benedictus, uh, which is Latin, which means, uh, you know, uh, the blessing of God. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. that's the first line of the the hymn, Blessed Be the Lord God of Israel. So the Benedictus, it is an old, old prayer. It has been a part, I mean, it's part of scripture, but it has been a part of Christian worship, liturgically for, since the beginning. We have records back into the very early centuries of it being used in prayer services and and just the daily prayers. Uh, Often it's used in the morning prayers. Next week, Or eventually, when we get into chapter two, which we will start next week, but I'm not sure at what point we'll hit the Song of Simeon, which is called the Nunc Dimittis. That's Latin, from the first word now, now, now let us depart, or now you dismiss us, Um, and that's used in evening prayer in Vesper services. So uh, they're beautiful prayers. These, These, like last week, we looked at the Magnificat, Mary's song of praise, magnifying the Lord. Today. I mentioned in a little preview video yesterday, I want to ask you this question. Are we all called to be like John the Baptist? Are we all called to prepare the way of the Lord? I want us to consider that question as we study today. Uh, this morning, I'm coming to you here in my, uh, my study, my pastor study in my home that uh, got set up when we began Brad Riley Ministries, and uh, feels good. I've been doing it from the living room, the last, uh, since we went live uh, last month, and that was, uh, well, actually from the dining room area at the table. I had it all spread out, took over the whole dining room table. But This is, this is really a great feel. Uh, I was letting our daughter Brooke use this for her school classes, you know, online college classes, and so I didn't want to get in her way. We were both online at the same time while she was on Zoom for her classes, and I was upstairs doing that. So, uh, now we're back in the study. I'm really glad to be in here with you. As you look around just a little bit, I can't show you the whole thing, but you can see some bookshelves behind me. I'm a book nut. The walls here are lined with books, and I still have more books in boxes. I just love books. And uh, there's some very special crosses. I, I hope. That, I don't know if that call. Somebody keeps calling, and I'm really sorry about that. But uh, I just tap it, and hopefully it goes away. Um, the the crosses behind me, really special crosses. Uh, The big one in the middle, you can't see it all. I'll try and turn this up a little so you can see it. Uh, There's the the top of it. That is a very special cross. Pam Greenhaw, thanks for joining us today. Great to see you. That cross has a real crown of thorns on it. That was given to me when I went into full-time Christian ministry by my mother-in-law, Beverly, who's on this call. I love that cross. I've used it in different services where I've taught and preached. And every time I pick it up to move it, I I prick myself with those real thorns. And I think, how did Jesus wear that on his head? I mean, he didn't have a choice, but I mean, I'm a wimp. I prick it one time and it hurts. I I can't even imagine that crushed onto my head after I've already been beaten almost to death. So that's a special one. You see the three crosses uh, over here, over my left shoulder. That triple cross was a gift from Jean and Joyce Williams, my pastor uh, Jean, for many many years, uh, a blessed memory now, and they gave me that as a part of a token of appreciation for writing a chapter in one of their books, and then this cross on my right shoulder is from uh, Kent uh member at First Church of the Nazarene, where I pastored a long time. That cross is very special. I think he made it from some special reclaimed wood, and uh, just uh, he's been on many ministry. Uh, uh, work and witness trips and things, but that, so the three crosses really have special meaning behind me there. And you can see over above my right shoulder, the, uh, those are the ancient Christian commentary on scripture. In fact, they, they carry over on the other side too. That's the book that I use for a lot of this Bible study that you see me, I read out of it because it has the scripture within it as well as the commentary from the ancient church fathers. So I've um, been blessed to have that series for a long time. Well, if you have your Bibles open and you're ready, let's dig in to Luke chapter one, part five, excuse me, verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to be delivered, and she gave birth to a son. And her neighbors and kinfolk heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they would have named him Zechariah after his father. But his mother said, not so, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your kindred is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he would have him called. And he asked for a writing tablet and he wrote, his name is John. And they all marveled immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And now carrying on with verse 67, here is the song of Zechariah. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High and you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God, when the day shall come upon us, shall dawn upon us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness, and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness till the day of his manifestation to Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Wow, that is there is so much there. Let's let's step back for a minute and think about what we just witnessed in the reading of this scripture. James, good to see you. Thanks for coming in today. Uh, this begins with the birth narrative of John the Baptist. Now he's it tells us that it's time for him to be born, and of course, on the eighth day after his birth, uh, he is taken to the religious leaders to be circumcised. This was the custom of all the Jewish people. Every male child was circumcised on the eighth day. It's very symbolic, the eighth day. Uh, Hi, Lenora. Thanks for stopping in today. The eighth day is is a beautiful symbol, uh, if you're not familiar with it. Uh, The eighth day represents now, after the resurrection of Christ, his resurrection was on the eighth day. Sunday is the first day of the week, So you follow through Saturday, seven days, and then the cycle begins again. But that day of the resurrection, the day of the resurrection was unlike any other day. So it's the eighth day, a day that does not fit anywhere else but in eternity. Because God looked out from all eternity and knew the plan of redemption for the world. And he knew the eighth day. So eighth days are very special. Um, There's a bookstore here in town, one of my favorite stores of all time, the 8th day bookstore over in kind of in the college hill area on Douglas. If you haven't been there, you need to try it. It's a beautiful store. Just the minute you walk in, it's a sacred space. It really is. But on on the other hand, this is Old Testament tradition to circumcise the child on the 8th day. That's amazing when you think about what the 8th day was going to mean in prophetic fulfillment that even in the day of the, the law of Moses being given, it was it was prophetic that these things should happen on the eighth day. So I love that. There's just a beautiful connection there. Uh, and, and so that's exactly what they do. And the tradition, of course, was to name a child after his father, or at least with some name in the family that is common, usually after the father, but not always after the father, but the first child especially after the father. Um, and so they think they're going to name him Zechariah, but they don't. Uh, Hi Sylvia, thanks for joining. Good morning. Uh, They they don't name him Zechariah. Elizabeth speaks up and says, "No, stop! It's going to be John." Everybody's puzzled. Why John? Nobody in your family line named John. Well, John, as I told you uh, uh, one of the weeks in our preparation for this day, John means gift of God or the grace of God, and so this is a miraculous birth. And Elizabeth and Zechariah know that they are going to honor exactly what God told them to do through the angel Gabriel, and that is to name him John. And so they do. Well, they turn to Zechariah as if he has some say in this, like, your wife's kind of nuts here. What is she wants to name him John? And uh, and he can't speak. You remember, he's been mute for this whole pregnancy. And uh, they turn to him, and he gets a tablet. And so he writes, and he writes, his name is John. And right then, because he has obeyed the Lord, he has obeyed the, the the prophetic word of the angel. You shall name him John, and his tongue is loosed. He and he just he, he brings out a wellspring of joy and gladness and thanksgiving, of praise to God. So that such that it, it's again, it's one of these three beautiful hymns that Luke includes in his gospel in the first two chapters of his gospel for us, the Magnificat the Benedictus, and the Nuntimitus. So uh, those verses 67 on, we have this song of Zechariah that flows so beautifully. Now, why is this so important? Uh, Zechariah is doing a couple of things with this song. He is praising God, but he's also prophesying. He's prophesying the life and the ministry and the calling of John the Baptist, as we'll see as we break down but this this song really brings together a lot of the promises of god um so it's it's as i mentioned in the beginning it was kind of a, a common use in worship i want to show you something a couple of things here that i have this is a uh this is the book of common prayer this was a gift to me back and uh way back the story i told last week about the family where i directed the choir and it flopped at saint matthew's episcopal church uh th- this was a gift from that choir director and uh I love it. It's, it's been a prayer book that I hold. I, I collect many prayer books, all kinds of prayer books. And, and this one is, is the official prayer book of the Anglican Communion. So whether that be the Church of England, the Episcopal Church of America, and uh, the Church of Canada. Uh, so this is, uh, and right here it is, on page 50 of morning prayer. It says down here, morning prayer. And there it is, the song of Zechariah. And beside it in Latin, Benedictus Dominus Deus. Blessed be the Lord God. And above it was the magnificent uh, Song of Simeon, Nunc de right over here, which will, these three most important hymns. You'll see it here also. I have this beautiful little book uh, called, it's a little miniature book, isn't that something? And it's kind of similar. It looks like the other one, but it's smaller. The book, Common Prayer of Canada. So this is the official prayer. Now, this book is really old. That one was printed in 1978. This one is extremely old. Uh, I can't even remember. When, but it was a gift to me from uh, Carol Lawrence. Uh I, I loved it. She thought of me when she found this. I'm not sure where she found it, how she found it. Uh, not even sure what the date is on it, but it's pretty old. And it has just this beautiful... Uh, it says, issued by the authority of the General Synod of the Church of England and the Dominion of Canada. So, and there it is again, right under morning prayer, the Benedictus. So, we have this ancient prayer we're studying today with lots of promises and good stuff from God. So let me give you a quick break real quick before we jumped into it. Hey, Sandra's watching. I'm so glad you're with us today, Sandra. Um, <clears throat> tell me what kind of coffee you're drinking, all you coffee lovers out there. I'm going to take a sip of mine again. My throat's bothering me. I told you this morning. I'm sorry about that. But hey, if you have a favorite, type it in. You can give a little comment there and we'll see what your favorite is. And as always, if you have a question, Feel free to type one in there. And I would love to take that question and, and just discuss it with you in some way. And if I miss it because we're just going along and I'm looking down, I'll get to answering it on the Facebook page, I promise. So uh, feel free to dialogue back and forth here. But let's look at the prayer of Zechariah. I think it, be, it begins with these most important words. The salutation is. Um, Oh, Rhonda's telling me, I believe it was her husband that passed away and she wanted you to have it. She knew you would really enjoy it. Yes, that's probably why it was when her husband passed away. He was a minister as well. And uh, thank you for reminding me of that, Rhonda. That's probably on the occasion she gave it to me. Um, Here is, as as we look at this, this most all important first words, Zechariah's first words are, are, uh, get over here to it, turn the page. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. For he has visited and redeemed his people. let us to take a look at that phrase, and, and I'm going to stop. There are, there are about six or seven really important phrases and words in this prayer. Uh, coffee at home, James, Seattle's best, unless something else is better on sale. I love Seattle's best. Great stuff. Good choices. When I used to hang out at the Borders bookstore, that's what they served, and that's when I got hooked on that. I really loved it. So uh, thanks, James. Uh This idea that God visited and redeemed his people. Now, this is the birth of John the Baptist. Jesus isn't even born yet, but yet here is Zechariah talking in the finality that God has visited and God has redeemed his people. Jamaica me crazy from Sylvia, from the spice merchant, another spice merchant lover there. That's awesome. Uh, I love that. Jamaica me crazy. I haven't had that one in a long time. Uh, So here, think about this with me. Why is Zechariah talking in the, in, the, uh, in the voice of the past ten, the accomplished voice? The voice here, literally, if we look at the Greek verbs, uh, this, this word redeemed in verse 68, it says he's visited and redeemed his people. That word redeemed is uh, poieho. Poieho, that's spelled P-O-I-E-O in English. It, it means an accomplished act. Zechariah is prophecy. He knows the power of God. He knows that God, who could bring an angel to him, who could bring birth to him and his wife at this late stage in their life, who could do all of this, this he can accomplish what he says he's going to do, and he knows this is the forerunner. His son is going to be the forerunner to the Messiah. This is this is an incredible privilege, and he is just making it clear here that God has visited and redeemed his people. Every every Jewish believer has lived for this time, for this time when the Messiah would finally come, and now it's happening. And, And so it's good for us to note that that's an accomplished act. In the economy of God, it's already happened, okay? Just like Scripture teaches us that the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. What does that mean? God, the eternal being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, existed, exists, and always has existed outside of time and space. He is the creator. And it is before creation that in his all knowing, he could look out across all that would ever be called time and space and creation and know that his Creation, humanity would fail in sin. He would know the horrors of living in a life of sin and living in a broken world. And he would have a plan for that redemption. And he knew the only plan was for his only son, Jesus Christ. God made flesh to be sacrificed for us. So what scripture says, the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. It's true. He was. He was. So everything that happens in at a moment in time, you know, we're very linear people. We think in time because we live in time. Everything that happens in that time, we can take note of this present moment in time. Right now, May the 14th, 2020, we're studying this word. God has already seen it. God has gone ahead of us, as Scripture says. He, The Lord is the one who goes before you. He will not fail you or forsake you, so do not fear or be dismayed. That's Deuteronomy way back, a promise from way back in the Old Testament. So take note that God has already redeemed his people, and now they're going to see it lived out in the flesh. Wow, that's powerful. So next word I want to call to attention in this, in this song of Zechariah is this idea that he, he says that God has raised up for us a horn of salvation. What does that mean, this idea of a horn of salvation? The horn in, in old and ancient times, certainly in biblical times, The horn was always a symbol of authority and power, usually royal authority and power. You know, today, uh, you know, we have horns on every car. They didn't have horns on their horses and buggies and carriages and all of that kind of stuff. Nobody had horns pretty much in the old days except the bugler or the one who would play the trumpet to announce the coming of the king. Or like in the book of Joel in the Old Testament when they would call the people together to sanctify a solemn assembly in a fast. They would blow the horn, blow the trumpet in Zion. They, they used that ram's horn, the shofar. And so the idea of the horn, he says, God has raised up for us a horn of salvation. This is a power. He's proclaiming the power of God, of what God has. And notice again, the past tense, God has done it. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David. Now he's clearly connecting the birth of the Messiah to come to the house of David. This is no mistake for the people that are hearing him sing that day in the, in the temple courts or wherever they were. He's proclaiming this is the Messiah this is the my son's going to be the forerunner to the Messiah because the Messiah is coming now that we know that the forerunner is coming. And so he goes on again in... in uh, it, let me read you something here from Saint Jerome and a couple of things from from the ancient Christian fathers. This is pretty good stuff. The horn of power and royalty. Jerome says it this way. The sound of the horn represents the man of God in all his sovereignty. So that would be Jesus, the Messiah, in all his sovereignty. In scripture, the horn properly signifies kingship and power, just as it is written, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us. So he's quoting from what we just read. Now, Ambrose, I wasn't looking at my notes, and I forgot to read this to you, but Ambrose of Milan, a bishop in Milan back in the 5th century, I believe, uh, the 400s, late 300s, early 400s, said this concerning this prophecy. He said uh, about Zechariah's talking in the past tense, because we notice all these in the past tense. He says, Zechariah was telling by way of prophecy as if it had already come to pass what he had foreseen in the Spirit and had begun, and it would soon come to pass. By his appearance in the flesh, our Lord Jesus visited us when we were distancing ourselves from him, and he chose to seek out and to justify us when we were sinners. He visited us as a doctor visits an ill patient, and in order to cure the ingrained sickness of our pride, he gave us the example of his own humility. He redeemed his people by giving us freedom at the price of his own blood. We who have been sold into the slavery of sin... And we're committed to serving the ancient enemy. That's a beautiful description of Jesus coming among us as the great physician. As as a doctor visits an ill patient, uh, Jesus came to accomplish our healing, our salvation, our cleansing. Um, Look with me at verse 74 now. Something I want want you to see here in this idea of, of worship. He goes on in verses 70 through 73 to talk about, you know, as he promised from the mouth of his holy prophets of old, he's reminding that the prophecies of the Messiah are of old. We've all heard them, uh, he's saying. And they were prophesied, he's prophesying that he's going to remember his mercy to our fathers. Uh, And he specifically says the oath which he swore to our, our father Abraham, you know, his holy covenant. What was that? Well of course the idea that he would be God's people. I just mentioned one a minute ago when I said in Deuteronomy it says, the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will not fail you or forsake you so do not fear or be dismayed. God has always promised deliverance to his people and they they've experienced uh, they've experienced being dragged off into uh, into bondage from Babylonians, from Assyrians, and now from Romans. They, they've experienced every type of life except real, true freedom. Those slaveries, those bondages, those were always because of their own sin, their own disobedience to the Lord. But God always promised he would be faithful. He always promised to raise up a remnant, and he did. He always kept a remnant, he kept the remnant through all those slaveries, those into the return into Israel, and then even into this kingdom that is that is now the world kingdom of the Roman Empire, there is still this remnant, this people of Israel, and God is remembering his mercy to them. And he's remembering his oath that he swore to Abraham. And so he says here, uh, at the bottom of verse 73, 74, he says, the reason he did it is to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear, meaning God might serve God without fear. So uh, Ruth and Cindy, thanks for stopping in today on our study. So what does it mean to serve God without fear? Because that's what Zechariah is saying we're called to do, to serve him without fear. Well, first of all, we look at that word fear and we know that it, it, it doesn't, you know, the scripture tells us to fear the Lord. In fact, it says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And Zechariah says to serve him without fear. So what what is it? We have to understand what's being meant by the words here. There's always a sense in which we should uh, fear the Lord because he is God. Jesus says don't fear man who can maybe kill your body. Fear him who has the power to put your soul in hell. So there's a sense in which we need to fear God, but that fear needs to be born out of love and respect and obedience. So we often hear that word fear being translated as the word awe, or just in awe of God. But even that falls short. We can be in awe of a lot of things. But the idea of of being in fear and knowing our place, we are his servants. We are God's servants. But yet as his servants, redeemed by him, We know that he loves us, that he's our loving heavenly father. In many ways, what Isaiah is saying here, I mean, not Isaiah, Zechariah is saying here is I'm showing you the love of the father. This is how much he loves you, that even though you've done all this craziness throughout the ages, even though you've been slaves in Babylon and everywhere, even though you've incredibly disobedient people. God is saying, "I still love you. I'm redeeming you. You are mine. Serve me." Hi, Lauren. Thanks for joining us. So, what does it mean to serve God? Let's look at that word. Now, this word here is is in the Greek. It is, uh, la triuo, la triuo. okay, L A T R E U O, la triuo. That means to literally render menial service. Let's take those words together. Render means to do something, okay? To give and do something. Menial, that means it's a physical task, okay? And you're hired to do this, okay? God has bought us. It means, means you're a hired servant. You have been bought with a price. You are to worship God in a in a, you're to render to him a menial service of worship. I wonder sometimes today if we even understand the word worship. The word worship is, is, is in the Hebrew of the Old Testament. If you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, all the way back, the first time the word worship appears, the word in Hebrew is shaka. Shaka. S H A C H A H, I believe. Shaka. That word literally means to physically fall down, to physically bow down. Worship in every context, whenever that word is used, worship the Lord and serve him only in the scriptures, always is a word, like it is here in the Greek, that means to serve God with all our physical being. So, When we think about worship today, you know, we're worshiping a lot differently now. We're in our homes. We're not in our church buildings. Uh, Hopefully, we will be again soon. But even if we're not, we're still called to worship God, and God is still with us, and we're still His church. And so, how do you worship? How do you worship God? Do you worship God by just, is it just going to church and listening to the sermon? Is it just going to church and singing the songs? Is is that all worship is? I'm going to say no, it's not. Worship doesn't really happen until His Spirit has touched our spirit. And we know He's calling out to us. So the question is, are we opening to His Spirit? And when His Spirit touches our spirit, we can't help but render our service to Him that may look different in a lot of people. It may look like raising your hands. Uh, It may look like bowing your head. It may look like kneeling down. Uh, It may look like a lot of things, but understand it is a physical act of worship that God calls out of us. And why is that? I think this is psychologically important, okay? I'm going to challenge you. If if you're if you're one that just reads scripture and prays, when you pray you don't you don't do anything physical. You just look down and read. Uh, I'm going to challenge you to try and do something physical. I'm going to challenge you to try and uh, kneel down. For one, change change your routine. Try kneeling prayers, or uh, do this. Try standing prayers. The Jewish people stood with their hands up to the Lord to heaven. That's how they prayed. Uh, Try, uh, try making a sign of the cross. There's absolutely nothing. What does the physical action of making a sign of the cross mean? It, 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 there's something movement-wise it has nothing to do with with the, the Catholic Church. The earliest Christians, there are recorded historical uh, writings by I think. Uh, uh, not just in the martyr. The name just escaped me. Tertullian, I think, was one of them that marked. He said, "We Christians, whenever we, whenever we leave, or whenever we come, wherever we go, in almost everything we do, we mark our foreheads with the sign of the cross." That's what Tertullian said. And we see other historical writings. We see that this idea of bringing the the hand to the forehead, and I've talked about that before. The kind of the symbolic act of the the, the two index fingers with the thumb represent the Trinity. And these two down here against the palm represent the miracle of the God-man, Jesus Christ, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Try praying with that act. Uh, it's a physical act. Um, there is, uh, try, try bending down low. These are all things that, I tell you, if you'll take my challenge and you'll just try it. Try and do some different things physically. Whatever it is that works for you, just try. You will find your prayer life being uh, opened up. You're going to find your spirit being enhanced more. Because, why? Because just like our faith is not only a mental ascent, our worship is not only a mental ascent to God. So, in many ways, this whole song of Zechariah, he, he's talking about us. He's talking about his son, and we're going to see directly, he's going to actually start talking to his newborn baby here. Um, but he's talking to us as well. He's talking to us about our lives as being those who prepare the way for Christ in this world. And I asked you that question in the beginning. I asked it on yesterday's video. You know, are we all called to be preparers of the way, to be forerunners, to be preparers to prepare the way of the Lord? Um, Yes, I believe the answer is yes, we are. So uh, you'll find that Our prayer life is not just mental. Our prayer life is physical. You can light a candle. That candle, the act of lighting that candle and looking at that flame and realizing the remembrance of that flame that in heaven right now, it says in the book of Revelation, there are seven golden candlesticks before the throne of God. And there are golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. That's all from the book of Revelation. Just a glimpse into... To the throne room of God. You know, do something physical, light incense or burn incense, or whatever you want, burn a candle and understand. Now, the candle is going to be important because we're going to come back to that at the very end of this prayer. So hold on to that thought. Salvation isn't just about our mental ascent. Faith and works. There's the old, the old argument: faith and works. James says it best when he says. You show me a faith that doesn't work, I'll show you a dead faith. And I'm paraphrasing James, of course. Um, if we truly have faith, we put that faith into action. We work in the kingdom of Christ. Not to earn salvation, but to live out salvation. Okay? Live it Because salvation is not a one-time act. We are saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. That's, that's the account of Scripture, and it uses... The, the, the Greek word soter, which means to be saved, the overwhelming way that it is used in Scripture always is to be saved, a future tense, in the New Testament even. So now let's come back to the Song of Zechariah here. Let's talk about verse 75, these last kind of four verses of it, verse 75 through 79. We're serving him without fear, meaning God, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. What does that mean? It means that that the way we serve Him is to live holy lives, to righteous lives. Holiness matters. It's not okay to just believe and then live like the rest of the world. Holiness matters. It's how we serve the Lord. So everyone who's a Christ follower has to figure out what does it mean to be holy? What does it mean to be on a path striving for righteousness and holiness? Um, All of our days... And he says, and you, child, now here in verse 76, he's actually changing the tone. He's praising God in the beginning of the song, and now he's actually talking to his newborn baby. This is beautiful stuff here. Think back, those of you who are parents, think back to the first time you held your newborn child in your arms. Wow. Just take a moment. Soak it in. Remember that. Let that memory become present, okay? This is Zechariah. An old priest who's been made fun of all of his life because they never had children, holding his newborn son. And he looks at him and he says, You child, you shall be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord and prepare his ways. He's prophesying the life of John the Baptist, the calling of John the Baptist. Why is he talking to his newborn son? You say, well, his newborn son can't hear him. Really? I think think the newborn son could hear him. I mean, the newborn son, in the womb of Elizabeth, before he was born, he he heard Mary's voice. And remember how he jumped in the womb? And, And the scripture says he was filled with the Holy Spirit, even from the womb. So don't be so sure he didn't hear. And some spiritual level. And those feelings would come in revelation to him as he lived out his life. Remember, he grew up a child just like you and I and just like Jesus. But there came a time as an adult, Scripture teaches us, that he goes off into the wilderness to prepare for his ministry. And it says you're going to prepare his way to give knowledge of salvation to his people. Now, um, this idea of the word knowledge, I want to say just a little bit about that. What is, what is John the Baptist preparing people for? He's preparing them for knowledge of Jesus Christ. Knowledge of the Lord. Because in the Lord there is salvation. So he's preparing them for knowledge of salvation. They knew their path to salvation was a limited path. By keeping the Mosaic Law, they were saved. One act of law at a time, one year at a time, um, always and forever needing new forgiveness of their sins. But he knew that that's going to change because you're going to bring knowledge to people. This knowledge, this is a Greek word gnosis. We've talked a lot about that in this Bible study, this Greek word gnosis. It's a very intimate word. Uh, And it literally means in this form as it's used here, it means a very intimate, firsthand application. They would no longer know salvation as something from God afar off. They would know salvation as something within, received from the Lord. That's powerful. He says, because you're going to give them knowledge of salvation in the forgiveness of their sins. They're going to know intimately, firsthand, that they have been forgiven when they see Christ die on the cross, buried in as dead and raised to life, conquering death by death on that third day. And then he goes and he says, Through the tender mercy of our God, when the day shall dawn upon us from on high. I love that phrase, through the tender mercy of our God. I had a conversation with a friend of mine yesterday at the counseling office. And I said this, I said, God is always merciful. I want you to think about that for a minute with me. Because I Zechariah hears the mercy of God. He feels the mercy of God. He's he's living the mercy of God, and he's prophesying to his newborn son that it's through the tender mercy of our God that the day will dawn upon us from on high, that God, in other words, will bring uh, this idea of dawn, which means light, and the very next line says, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now, um, I want to I want to say just a little bit about the mercy of God. I don't think I really ever understood mercy very well in my young life. I mean, it's just one of those things you just thought of it as, as uh, well, you know, people often say, well, it's not getting what you deserve. You know, we deserve to be punished. Well, somebody had mercy on you, so you weren't punished. But in, in God's economy, mercy is... While there is some truth to that, here's, I think, the fuller light of mercy. Mercy is born out of love. If a judge has mercy on you, well, you know, he doesn't necessarily love you. He just decides to give you a second chance. Um, But to have mercy in God's economy is to be born of love. God is always, this is my statement yesterday, God is always merciful. Back in 2007, June of 2007 was the District Assembly of the Church of the Nazarene, Kansas District, was on. Things were difficult. It was a difficult year for the church. My service there was a difficult time for everyone. And I won't go into all that, but, I mean, it just, there was one night at that assembly, I just literally didn't even want to be there. I just didn't go. God forgive me. I just didn't want to go. I was depressed, and I stayed home, and went to bed early. And I didn't go to sleep, and I just laid there and laid there. And all of a sudden, I heard the voice of the Lord. I really did. I mean, this was a Moses experience. It wasn't an outside voice. It was an inside voice. And and, and the Lord started speaking to me, and he said, Brad, you are going to lead ministry in my name, and that ministry will be the merciful servants of Christ. That's what he told me. I remember, say, what? You you talking to me, God? I I don't even, I'm looking at, I I don't even like what's happening in the church. How am I gonna be used as as a minister uh, to lead people in your mercy? He said, no, no, you're gonna gonna found an order called the merciful servants of Christ. That's what I heard God say, M-S-C. I mean, my mind just began to flow, and I said, okay, Lord, I'm your servant, whatever you say. I I got up, I wrote down... (laughs) Changed my email. I created an email account in the middle of the night that day. Pastor Brad MSC. Some of you know my email. You send me emails all the time. Pastor Brad MSC. What in the, you've never asked, what's the merciful servant? What's MSC? Merciful Servant of Christ. Every now and then somebody asks me when I'm giving them my email. I have to spell it out for them, you know, and they'll say, what's MSC stand for? And I say, Merciful Servant of Christ. They go, oh, that's interesting. That's neat. And so you know, I, I, So I set it all up on the web. I set up this ministry. And uh, over a period of years, four people joined the Merciful Servants of Christ. One in Australia. Get that. I don't know how you found the website. One in England found the website. And one in Sumner County of Kansas. Uh, and myself, four, four people, all that ever joined it. Um, but I have it out there. I've never really fulfilled it because, you know, after 2007, things changed in the church, ministries changed. And, and long story short, of course, I stayed until just this last year. But um, but now, maybe in God's time, in God's economy, He still wants to do something with my merciful servants of Christ. I set it up as a, as a spiritual order for men or women uh, to be able to have uh, spiritual direction from a spiritual father and learn as disciples. This is the path that Christians took throughout the ages. This is the path that monks took and nuns took and people that founded orders. But you know what? That was, that was almost a, an ancient thing. And all of a sudden in our modern era, and especially in the Protestant uh, world, we lost that. There, there aren't any Protestant orders, if you will, in any of the Protestant churches, save the Episcopalians, I think they have a few um, that have monks and nuns. And I'm not even talking about being monks and nuns. I'm married. I have a family. But I, so I, what God began to show me is we need urban monks. We need urban nuns. We need people in the cities that are willing to live the daily lives of a family, mothers, fathers, and 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 just live this merciful servant's life of Christ. And, and be a merciful servant. To understand that to serve him means to physically offer something to God. And then to understand that, you, uh, that you're doing it because he has loved you. He, from the tender mercy of our God, born on high. So, um, as Brad Riley Ministries moves forward, uh, I, you know I'm, I'm feeling the Lord, uh, and as I'm learning more about this online stuff, I didn't even have this back in 2007 to really help the person in Australia and England, but uh, did a few things by email with them. But if they ever find this, I'm sorry that it never continued. My ministry in my life got busy and it it, it, it it fell by the wayside and I didn't ever, I've always had in the back of my mind though, God wants to do something with me through that. So I'll leave all that there for you. But, but here's what I want to close our thinking today. I want to close our time today with this thought. John the Baptist It says here in the last, it says, and the child grew and became strong in the spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his manifestation to Israel. And his manifestation, it said in the very preceding verse, was to give light to those who were in darkness, to guide their feet in the way of peace. I want to tell you today, I believe that is the calling to the church and to us Christ followers in our time. We need to figure out how to be fulfillments of the ministry of John the Baptist. It was not a one time and done ministry. Every era of time needs people who will prepare the way of the Lord. Who will live a life, who will so physically live a life that people will see and hear them and know that they are Christ followers and know that the way is being prepared, and know that it's true, and that they bring light into the darkness. This world is a dark place. This coronavirus time, it's bringing a darkness to so many places, so many homes, so many lives, so many people are being discouraged. Business people that are losing their businesses, or have already lost it families and people who have lost loved ones all alone in a darkness where they couldn't even be with them. Um, and, and just those who are still living in fear of wondering if they'll get it or if their loved one will get it and when will there ever be a cure for it. This, this is not healthy. We are not to, not to live in that kind of fear. We're supposed to fear God for his love for us and his awesomeness for us. But not fear what this world can do. Not to fear, as Psalm 91 says, the pestilence that stalks by night. That's the coronavirus. That's a pestilence. Psalm 91 says, don't live in fear of it. We can't do that. Then the enemy wins. And part of Zechariah's song, remember at the beginning, was that God has saved us from our enemies. God has already saved us from this virus. One day, God already knows where the answer is. God already knows when the... The uh the you know the the shot you get, the word just left me. Yeah, the the uh inoculation, that's an old-fashioned word. Isn't that terrible? You're a wordsmith and you just lose a word. You know what I mean, the, the cure for it. It when it God knows when it's gonna come. We're already seeing treatments that work. God knows. And and this isn't the end-all-be-all of disease. There every day people are dying from cancer and the flu. And horrible other diseases and illnesses. But this has just been made, made prevalent. And it's a horrible thing. Trust me, I understand that. I don't I pray no, nobody I know gets it. Vaccine, thank you, Rhonda. Couldn't pull that word out of there. The vaccine, God already knows when the vaccine's gonna come. Vaccine, thank you, Sylvia. God already knows. But until then, we can't live in fear. What we need to do, those of us who Physically name the name of Jesus Christ. Not only in our hearts and minds, but in our bodies. We bear the, the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow him. Deny yourself and follow him. We need to be modern-day John the Baptist. We're in a wilderness right now. John spent his last years, in his, his adult life was all in the wilderness. It's interesting that throughout, throughout history the history of God's people, the great movements have begun in wilderness times and in wilderness places. Uh, And you can study the history of of the spiritual life of God's people, and that's always true, even true into the Old Testament, when Elijah was driven into the wilderness and and other places. The wilderness, Jesus himself, a wilderness time of testing before his ministry. The wilderness is not a place to be afraid of. When we find ourselves in the wilderness... It's a time to realize that God is shaping us for something. God is testing us. He's trying us. He's teaching us if we'll listen. There is something that God has great for us to do. And I think that's what he's saying to the church and to the Christ followers of, his day, of this day. You're going to emerge from this coronavirus as things begin to open up. And you're going to be a new church. You're going to be a reborn church. You're going to be a, a cleansed church. And you are going to be preparing the way for others to see the true church the true faith in Jesus Christ and that transcends all of the American style of worship and things that we've held so dear to and clung so dear to um, so in many ways I think we're we're in the middle of a wilderness experience because God is calling us out like he called John the Baptist and uh, not exactly I mean we're not necessarily going to be standing on street corners preaching to people I'm not advocating that I mean if, if if God calls somebody to do that, that's, that's theirs. I, I learned that wasn't my call because I don't think it's always effective. Um, but there's a place for it. Um, but the greatest place, you know, the truer words were never spoken than to say, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That was a line from a book called Lifestyle Evangelism The Way We Live by Joe Aldrich. The Way We Live is what shows people whether we care or not. It shows whether we really love Jesus. It shows whether we really believe. Uh, So that's why the the call of Christianity is is not just a call to religion, it's a call to transformation. And that only happens when we surrender our lives to the Holy Spirit of God and His indwelling power. Well, we're up on uh, 1156. I've kept you for almost an hour now. Thank you for joining me today as we close out the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. Long ways to go in the Gospel of Luke, but we're here one day in this life one day at a time, and we're just going to soak and take all the richness that we can out of the Holy Scriptures and ask the, the Holy Spirit to apply them to our lives. So as we close today in prayer, thank you again for joining me. Thank you for all those who will watch this later on uh, or perhaps listen to the podcast. Let me just remind you real quickly, you can, you can subscribe to podcasts of all these Bible studies and listen to them while you're working or driving or whatever uh, on your favorite podcast player. I host it on Podbean. It's called Forming the Spirit Within. And there's a host of other things to listen to on there. Uh, share these posts. One of the greatest things you can do is to share these posts. Uh, when you share them, a circle of people see them that nobody else sees. And that helps spread the gospel. It spreads the teaching. It spreads this the effectiveness of this ministry, Brad Riley Ministries. And, and I'm humbled that you would even spend this hour with me today, so thank you. Uh, I I ask for your support. If you have a time, there's a way to go to bradrellyministries.org, and you can hit that donate button. I know things are difficult right now uh, financially, and it is for churches, and, and it is for ministries of all kind. Uh, it, it is difficult. So if you have the ability to give and God's blessed you to be able to do that, then, then do that. I appreciate that. It is a tax-deductible donation at Brad Riley Ministries, but thank you for being with me. Thank you for being on this journey with me. I see a note, James Davis, thank you for your ministry in the name of Jesus. God bless you, James, and, and your ministry as well. John, uh, my friend John watching from up in, in Olathe, thank you for being with us today. um, I want to lead you in prayer this morning as we close and just ask the Holy Spirit to guide us in the spirit of John the Baptist, okay, who himself came in the spirit of Elijah, Jesus said, as a forerunner to prepare the way for people to see Jesus and know Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for everyone who's on this live session right now. And I thank you for all who will ever view it later, who will ever hear it on a podcast. Thank you for this technology. Father, I'm humbled to have the chance to do this. I pray that you would take everything that I have said and cover over anything I've said that's that's wrong or misleading. I, I don't want anyone to be hurt by anything I've said. But Father, would you bring to us the spirit of John the Baptist, the spirit of Elijah, the spirit of prophecy, the spirit of being filled with your spirit and knowing that we have a role to play in your kingdom to prepare the way for those who don't know Jesus, to know him and to know his salvation. We ask this today in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, your Son, who lives with you, Father, and the Holy Spirit as one God forever and ever and unto the ages of ages. Amen. Well, that's all we have time for today. I want to thank you again for listening in. I hope that our time together has been a blessing to you. While you're here, why not take a moment to add a comment or perhaps ask a question? You know, Forming the Spirit Within is a listener-supported ministry. And I really appreciate your feedback and your support. If you'd like more information on how to be a part of this ministry, you can find it online at bradreillyministries.org. Again, thanks for listening and spending the time with us today. And may the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you as He forms His Spirit within you.